All right. I love starting this in the middle of a sentence. This is Kat, the lead boss here on the Revenue Accelerator. And I have Rennie Gabriel here with us, who is going to, in my opinion, which is highly important, drop <laughs> some serious value with us today. So Rennie, tell us who you are and why people should care. Um, well, that's a good question. Gee, the last right off the bat, let's go. Sure. I, I wasn't expecting that question. I wasn't ready for it. Um, the, the, who I am, uh, I, I coach people on how to handle money powerfully so that they can become philanthropic. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is I know what it's like to be broke and I know what it's like to give away tens of thousands of dollars to charity. And uh, the feelings are on different ends of the spectrum. Um, when I say broke, I mean, so broke at one time I had to collect soda bottles and cans to collect the refund money so I could buy food for my family. Hold on. So what state were you in? Because that's like three states. (laughs) (laughs) I I was in a broke state. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, California. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, because it's like that in Michigan are the only places where you can actually return bottles. And now I'm going to get like, hey, really? State does it too. Yeah. Well, at least it's not in in my area, the DMV area. So. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. So California, big on on returning bottles and cans for refund money. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And um, so by age 50, I'd had a couple divorces. I had a business failure and I was Mm. flat broke. Um, But I used a concept that's 5,000 years old, turned myself around, found out what wealthy people do, copied them. And within about eight years was a multimillionaire. Mm. So at this point in life, I don't have to work for a living. So the only reason I'm working is to channel 100% of the profits from my work to charity. Mm, that's amazing. So, so I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, eight years. So what do we do <laughs> in these eight <laughs> years to be able to become not just a millionaire, but a multimillionaire? Because that's not something, that's not a, a I guess, a label, right? That a lot of people get to put on their chest. No, it's, um, well, one, I worked seven days a week for seven years. That helped. Um, and I focused on what I was doing. Mm. I mean, really focused on it. The, the thing for me was I had taken a class at UCLA about 14 years earlier on how to buy or how to manage apartment buildings effectively. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, so I know this. (laughs) And then I had the opportunity with my wife and a realtor to, uh, be a 25% investor in a three unit property. And it took me three years to save up $18,000. And so I put it all into this property when I started over, when I was starting over. So I'm 53. Um, But that 18,000 created a half a million dollar profit for the three of us. Mm. And my share was 125,000. And what I saw was this was working. Mm. And I've discovered wealthy people have different attitudes than ordinary people. Yes. Like I said, I copied it. So one of them is you can use debt to create wealth. Mm. So I went out and borrowed more money so I could make down payments on more apartment buildings with my wife and the realtor. And we went from that three unit property to 55 zero units in the eight years. Now, what was the year time span here? Because that does uh, play a part into it. Started in, uh, let's see if I was, let's see, 50. That was 2001 okay. was when we bought the three unit and the market was going up. 
So we certainly benefited from that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the time span, let's see, eight. And by the way, I failed high school math. So I'm going to be slow with the numbers. I didn't, and I still can't do mental math. So you're in good company. (laughs) All right, great. (laughs) Like time zone math is a real problem for me. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. So you you survived the the boom and the bust, right? Oh, absolutely. You went through it and passed it and then kept going. Like it wasn't the thing that killed you. It was the most severe thing that happened in the 2008 bust was that uh, we had a property, one apartment that was vacant for, it was either three weeks or five weeks. That that was one one payment was was missed. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, out of 50 units, it didn't really matter. Yeah. So, I mean, you said something that was really interesting here in terms of, um, and I know it kind of goes contrary to what a lot of people talk about as it relates to debt, right? Of actually leveraging it as an asset versus looking at it as this huge liability. So, I mean, obviously you have a philosophy around what people should do, you know, as it relates to debt, like, is that something like, should people be focused in terms of building their wealth? Should they be focused on paying down debt and then doing investments or like what, what would be your advice there? Um, I'm glad you asked that question because that's my m- number one pet peeve. Mm. When you hear your CPA who is not wealthy tell you to pay off credit cards first, or you're listening to Susie Orman or uh, Dave Ramsey, and that may be fine for some people uh, because they're never going to have anything anyway, so it's okay. Right. Paying off debt before saving or investing is absolutely the worst thing anyone can do if they want to create wealth, mm. because we're talking about two different things. Oh, to, here's a, here's a, we'll, we'll play, we'll role play cat. Um, I'm going to ask you if you wanted to build muscles, you wanted to have nice, strong biceps. Tell me how you're changing your eating habits would do that. Well, I had someone say, yeah, I, ha- I mean, to build muscle, Right. Not necessarily to lose fat. Maybe I know that abs are made in the kitchen technically, but in order to actually build muscle, you need to, to, to lift stuff, right? Like you need exactly. to. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's exactly what I'm getting I at. Like so- I got a gold star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. I'll, I'll write it down in my book Yay. right next to your name. I need external validation like everybody else. <laughs> So the point is dieting will not build muscles and paying off debts is like dieting. And if mm. you want to build the muscle of creating wealth, you have to start saving and investing. Mm. You can't, if you ended up, okay, I'll, another quiz, another role play. Let's say. This is fun. <laughs> good. Second gold star, perhaps. Yeah. All right. It's all on the line. Let's go. <laughs> Let's say that. Um, you had no debt, you had no credit card debt, no car payments, no mortgages, no loans to anybody else. You didn't owe the IRS any money. You had no debt. I'm not saying anything else, Mm -hmm. but you had no debt. Would you be financially free? No, because I would need wealth in order to be financially free. And so the lack of debt doesn't mean that I have an abundance of something else. Exactly correct. If you don't have assets that are generating an income for you, just because you're debt free, you still have to work for a living. Mm -hmm. You still need to buy groceries or pay utility bills or pay transportation costs, which means you either work or you have assets generating the income for you. And the only way to do that is to save and invest. 
Absolutely. I mean, and, and that's what people are talking about a lot of times when they're talking about passive income. So, you know, there's these bro marketers out there who are, you know, pitching these laptop lifestyle experiences where there's all this money coming in, but it's not just doing nothing, right? There's actually something that's involved in order <laughs> to set up these revenue streams. And there is at least somebody having to manage it because if you're not managing the property, for example, then somebody needs to be to make sure that tenants are paying their money on time. What is your thought about these laptop lifestyle bro marketing kind of uh, projections that, you know, we see that are so prevalent in the online marketing space? Um, I think it's Tim Ferriss who wrote the book, The 4-Hour Workweek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he works 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Okay. Someone's so, doing the work, people. <laughs> darn right. And, and the, the funniest part about it to me is the idea that he writes a book on the four-hour work week and he can't work four hours a week. He works 40, 50, 60 hours. So bro marketing at its finest. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, this uh, lifestyle, laptop lifestyle, I'm sitting in the Bahamas and the money's coming into my account and all the rest of that stuff is great to sell other people on the concept. Mm. And that's where the money's coming from. It ain't coming from them sitting in the Bahamas doing nothing. Mm. And I do have a very close friend of mine who's working in uh, Puerto Rico and he loves it there. And he's working just as hard as he ever did in the U.S. No problem with that. No problem with people enjoying their life and taking time off. I mean, it's actually one of the things that you support people in trying to achieve is to get to this place where they can reallocate their wealth, right? That wealth is this amazing, powerful thing. It's not bad. It's not greedy. It's not negative, but there's this huge amount of positive impact that you can have. So I know that basically with the concept of building wealth comes the other uh, B, which is budget. So, you know, how do those two things kind of correlate to each other? And what's your philosophy on, you know, okay, so we got it. We, we need to have some debt. I get it. We need to pay it back at some point. Yes. But where does the budget concept actually come into play? Um, well, before I even answer the thing about the budget, because it's another hot area zone for me, is when we're talking about wealth and the purpose. Mm. Um, and one of the, pe- one of the things I run into a lot is people have a fear of creating wealth, like it's going to corrupt them. Mm. And the best expression I heard on that was from Warren Buffett. And he says of the billionaires I have met money just brings out the basic traits in them. Mm-hmm. If they were jerks before they had money, they were simply jerks with a billion dollars. And the opposite is true. Someone who has good values, who wants to contribute, who wants to make an impact with uh, on the planet, who wants to be philanthropic, when they create wealth, they will be. Well, and it's you see this in people who win the lottery, or let's say uh, you know athletes or something like that, yep. who make all this money, or somehow all this money lands into their laps, right? And then they still end up declaring bankruptcy because they didn't have that financial wherewithal beforehand to be able to manage all of that money and that abundance. Um, so, you know, that kind of ties into this, this budgeting concept. So yes, yes. And, and I will answer that. And one more comment. Absolutely. When you're talking about all the money landing and people blowing it, whether they win the lottery or whatever, mm-hmm. it reminds me of an expression. I think I created it and it's that more alcohol does not solve a problem for an alcoholic. Exactly. Yeah. So more money does not solve a problem of mismanagement either. Well, and so many people are focused on that of, you know, if I only make this much more money, then I'll be happy, right? There's this very tied 
energetic and emotional thing between happiness and money, um, yeah. especially in America, like very, yep. very monetarily focused and driven. I, I lived that for years. Mm -hmm. I thought if I just made more money, everything would work out and I was mismanaging it. And when it comes to the budgeting, what I recognized, and I f discovered this in a 12 step program called Debtors Anonymous. Oh, there's one? Yes. There's one for everything. I, right? Just like associations, right? <laughs> yeah, you got it. There's an association for, you know, everything from the doctors to the plumbers. Mm. The thing I learned is that you have to focus on expenses first. Mm. And then when you get that under control, making more money is so much easier because it's like the universe says, oh, we see, you know how to handle money. Now we'll give you more of it such an opposite way that we were kind of brought up, right? In terms of uh, just our socialization, in terms of what we're, I mean, it is, it's a fear-based, anxious kind of, you know, a relationship with money of this, this lack of focus of if I only have this much money, and I'll say as a woman, most women equate security with the amount of savings that we have in the bank, um, which, you know, makes women who actually, they are the, are the ones who are more likely to invest as it relates to their business, but they're the ones that are kind of in control of the finance. Um, so what, what is that about and, and how do we course correct this to actually start focusing on the expensive versus that place of lack of, I only have this much money or I, I, I have to pay off this debt kind of situation. It's coming to the realization that that's the first step in the process of creating wealth. And I don't use the word budget because that brings up thoughts All of about this. deprivation <laughs> and lack and sacrifice. Yeah. It's just, it, it's a negative connotation. So what I have uh, our clients do is create a spending plan mm. where we want them to spend money in alignment with their goals. We want them to spend money in alignment with their values. We want them to measure the level of pleasure they're getting based on where they're spending their money. They ask questions like, you know, was this worth the purchase? Did I enjoy spending my money here? Mm. And unless you ask questions and start to determine when your money is going somewhere, whether you've got the value for it, it's difficult to make changes. So that's the first area. One, it's a spending plan, not a budget. And two, you ask questions as you spend money. Mm. So what are some of the questions that we should be asking ourselves as we're spending well, money? Uh, one would be, if I didn't have to work for a living, would I buy this? A lot of people buy clothing for work or buy a car to impress other people or uh, have an apartment for, you know, to, mm. to show off to other people or have a big house or whatever. And if they didn't have to work for a living, they might not buy that. Mm. It's just, you know, for me, I was thinking about the other day that I, I went to, to target with, with my, my two daughters, I have three, um, three kids, two daughters. Oh, so you and left one out. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we've got to have our favorites. <laughs> so the son stayed home with his daddy and they had little male bonding. Oh, I thought you um, said you had three girls. Okay. No. Yeah. So three kids, three two kids, girls, two, and yes. then one's a boy. And no, I know who you favor. Okay. Go ahead. Right. right. <laughs> I, love them. I love them all equally. This is being recorded. <laughs> oh, right. Make sure you say that. So right. He, right. He hears it. He understands. Go exactly. Ahead. Um, so you know, we went to Target and there were the, there's like, you know, that you pass this little aisle where there's like dollar things and $3 things. And I remember my daughters each of course picked out something because they plan this very strategically in terms of the store layout. And it was $3. And I remember growing up, that would have been an automatic no. 
I had five sisters that there was no way we were going to get anything beyond what the budget allowed for, because there was a finite amount of money. I am not in that situation with my finances where I have to be as stringent. And I do look at those things and I see the joy that this little piece of nothing, (laughs) plastic $3 was going to charge us. And I wanted to do it because of the joy that it brought out in her. Um, and so I really do appreciate this question of, you know, if I, if I had all the money in the world, would I still buy it and being able to have that gut check. Right. And that's what we're talking about here is that instinct. And yeah, if I had all the money in the world, I would have bought that $3 thing. And I'm, I'm really glad that I did because it did, you know, buy temporary happiness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, your son probably would not have enjoyed the trip to, uh, target because you may have been picking out girly clothes. Right. 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 So, you know, it happens. I mean, he's got some hand-me-downs that are questionable. So, you know, so with looking at this, I mean, the, you said the first focus area was on, on, you know, creating the spending plan. The second one was asking yourself these financial questions, these kind of gut check questions. Yes. Um, and I think there was a third one that you were kind of starting with, or am I totally off? Oh, and, yeah, no, it's just that when you start there, then you can be increasing your income and it just flows more easily. Mm. And that's what I ended up learning is that when I focused on uh, the spending and, and where the money was going, my income jumped 50%. Mm. Because up to that point in time, I was living beyond my income. Mm. And the more I earned, the farther I was getting behind. Yes. Well, and that's what we're saying, right? With people who have like these financial yeah. relationships, if you will, with money, the, these these unhealthy relationships. So are these the things that you see people who you know are exponentially wealthy are the are they still doing these same things oh absolutely um, once they've achieved wealth that they're oh, yeah. doing and growing because it. if they don't they make big mistakes and that was what happened to me i was i figured i now have so much money i don't have to pay attention anymore mm. and i started uh learning about the online business and i'd buy this program and hire this coach and invest in you know whatever else And by the time I was done and my assistant is telling me, you know, Rennie, you spent far more money than you think. I said, no, no, maybe it's a hundred, 125,000. She goes, no, Rennie, it wasn't anywhere near that. I had spent $400,000 on my education in the online space. And I was completely unconscious to it being that much money. Mm. And so now I'm backtracking my money again, because I use the example of John D. Rockefeller who was who the creator of standard oil in the you know the 1840s 50s whenever it was when he was 11 years of age he tracked every penny that came into his life and where he spent it now uh, granted in 1850 or whatever a penny was money but, but the point is this is a habit he kept even when he was a multi-billionaire mm. when he was the wealthiest man in the world he was still tracking where his money was coming from and where it was being spent. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some, some value in knowing, you know, where I know Dave Ramsey, but I, I remember him saying specifically every dollar has a name. So that philosophy of when you're looking at where everything is coming and going of knowing where it belongs, where it's allocated to and having a real pulse on, because it does, it feels like a, yeah. you know, its own human being, right. In terms of having it's, it's a livelihood and being able to see the evolution of, you know, this relationship that you have with money. Um, you know, quite a question Are, is uh, hopefully you're not able to hear the power tools. My gardener is using right by my window. 
Um, I heard a like a very teeny tiny little buzzy sound, but you know okay, nothing yeah, that would be distracting. He's, he's, he decides right now, of course, to be outside my window with power tools. Okay, <laughs> this is this is how it works when we're speaking our truth, right? Sometimes things come into to block it. Yeah. So, what would you say is the most important aspect of actually having wealth, other than just you know these accumulation of things that we have in our life? Um, this may sound a little bit off track, but it's not. What I learned is wealth creation is a team sport, not a Mm. solo sport. People who attempt to create wealth by themselves don't end up as far as they could when they involve a team, whether it's partners, whether it's your accountant, whether it's a couple people founding a company together, uh, that team aspect is so crucial. And remember I said I was broke at 50 and I was a multi-millionaire about eight years later, I did it with two other people, my wife and this realtor. Mm. I like can't tell you how much I love that statement because I had never thought about wealth being this team sport. You know, we talk about growing your business as something that you want to have other people, you know, involved in and everybody has coaches. Um, but really looking at that thread is really a commonality in, in any successful person. Um, you know, you tell me if you agree, there's this, this, this impact comparison of, you know, let's say Bill Gates and his ability with his foundation to have an impact in the world. And then there's mother Teresa. Now, a lot of people are always kind of putting mother Teresa on a pedestal and she was great and amazing, but ultimately Bill Gates with his foundation agree or disagree in terms of who he is as a person, his philosophies or his involvement in anything. We're putting that to the side. What's your opinion? Who has the ability to have a bigger impact? Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, putting all the things aside that you said about Bill Gates, yes. <laughs> he has the ability to make a bigger impact. Now, Mother Teresa did a fabulous job, but you know, take into consideration, even though she had a vow of poverty, she raised millions of dollars mm-hmm. to support her charity work. The difference is Bill Gates had billions of dollars he created to put into his foundation to deal with health issues and education issues around the world. So the numbers of people that Bill Gates impacted with his money is greater than what Mother Teresa was able to impact. And that's just, guys, everybody listening, I don't want to get hate mail afterwards. This is just looking at it from a black and white perspective. (laughs) Oh gosh, can't even say cat. Don't send her hate mail. Um, But we have to use these examples to kind of say, you know, push the envelope in terms of our own thought process as it relates to wealth. What is something that you think people need to push as it relates to their thought process related to the concept of building wealth and being able to have that bigger impact in the world? It has to do with the purpose. Um, I recognize the people that we work with have a purpose. They want to make an impact. Mm. Uh, We don't take on clients who want to buy their second Lamborghini or, uh, you know. Thank you for being a good person. (laughs) They want a jet plane. I mean, you know, and the, the, the sad part is one of my friends from high school is that kind of person. He would never be a client of mine, Mm. but I've known him since high school. We forgive certain things. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so the people that we work with care about the planet, care about other people want to make an impact. And so our tagline is we raise philanthropists. Mm. So the point is we support people to handle money powerfully so that they can become philanthropic because that's what they want to do. And that's the reason for their wealth. They've got a purpose. 
Beautiful. Um, Renny, you've dropped like some seriously uh, amazing nuggets. And uh, one of the things that I love the most is when someone can come on and actually change the way people think. So how can people get in touch with you and learn more about kind of how you support people in not only building wealth, but being able to build that philanthropic impact? Um, I would say, listen to my TEDx talk. And the way to do that is they can go to my website and they'll get a roadmap to what I call complete financial choice. I don't talk about financial freedom. I talk about complete financial choice, choose to work, choose not to work, choose whatever. Mm. They go to wealthonanyincome.com forward slash TEDx. Awesome. Guys, that will definitely be in the show notes. Um, So wealthonanyincome.com forward slash TEDx. Um, Renny, any parting words or, you know, things that you, you know, wish you'd known when you were younger? (laughs) Um, That it's okay to ask for help. Mm. I I didn't learn that till I was in my forties because I was a latchkey kid, thought everything had to do with (laughs) me taking care of it. We always get into mommy and daddy issues some way, somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But hey, love my parents. They loved me. They just weren't there. Yeah. Right. So awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it, guys. Make sure you check out wealthonanyincome.com forward slash TEDx and check out the show notes. And Renny, again, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Kat. My honor.